Dug it. Dug it. Dug in it. Welcome to Dug It, the podcast. Hope you're dug in it. Wonderful. So, do you say it? Tower Porch Lynn? Tower Porch Lynch. Tower Porch Lynch. And yeah. uh, my mum's kind of this dancer, yogi. You know, she's always dancing in the gardens and. And then she and sending me these videos about you know these incredible women and people and I remember coming across Tao's one, I think she, it might have been a Dancing with the Stars clip uh, or the world's uh, oldest yoga teacher and um, and I kind of remember that quite clearly. It was like such a vivid, wonderful story and it looked like someone with such an incredible attitude. Um, and then I came across your clip with Tony and that you'd launched a, a, a new book called My Guru Wears Heels. And um, and so I did a little bit of research about Tal last kind of two nights. And yeah, I didn't realize she studied with Iyengar, with Patabi Joyce, with uh, Maharishi, who founded the team, Transcendental Meditation, um, walked with Gandhi, you know, grew up French speaking. Uh, and then, and also what is an actress had the best legs in Europe. Which I thought yeah, was a- she, I like to say that she was a real life Forrest Gump where she walked with and through so many moments and so many well-known people and characters throughout history. And the clip you're probably referring to where you saw her, was on America's Got Talent when she was featured. And Tao, as amazing as she was and celebrated as she was, she really didn't care about pop culture. So when she would do these appearances, she thought of every one of them just as she thought of yoga workshops or dance competitions. So when she went to America's Got Talent, she had no idea what she was really going for. And I remember... The only thing she shared about that was she said it was very cold in the green room. So she was blowing away Heidi Klum and Howard Stern. And to her, she was just thinking we had a fun afternoon of dance. So her perspective and way of viewing the world was so unbelievably refreshing. And having had a front row seat to see her from the time I was 17 until the time of her passing, last year at 101, it was just the biggest blessing in my life. So my feeling was, wow, all of these nuggets, all of these amazing things that she would say. And sometimes my favorite moments were the in-betweens, the driving to the event or having lunch after, when I would just soak up so much of her wisdom. And I would share with her, I would say, Tao, I feel like I have to share this with the world. And when I first told her that I was writing a book about our friendship and all of the things I learned from her, she always downplayed it. She would say, I hope there's enough that would be interesting, dear. (laughs) Like, what could you say to that? The world's oldest yoga teacher recognized by the Guinness Book of Records, the world's oldest competitive ballroom dancer, also recognized by the Guinness Book of Records. Deepak Chopra was quoted as calling Tao his yoga teacher. And when we first met Tony Robbins and he called, 
a few times to see if she was available to speak at different huge events of his around the world. And she always humbly questioned, I hope I have enough to share with them today. Or she would say sometimes after, I really hope they weren't bored. To which all you could do is laugh because after 26 years of following her, every single day I was with her, I still learned something new that opened my eyes and ears to the wonders of the world. Yeah, that's a magical humility. And I guess especially for uh, people of notoriety, it must be so refreshing. Um, it's actually a quality my, my girlfriend has a little bit of that she never puts anyone on a pedestal or you know above or below. And I think that's so endearing and, and charismatic as well, isn't it? Um, it's such an amazing quality. It is such an amazing quality. There were two parts it reminded me of that are actually mentioned, stories that are told in the book. One was a lesson Tao got when she was really young, and she was with her uncle, who was very well known in India. And as they were traveling, he said, Tao, that farmer you see on the side of the road, you even if he cannot read, he's not illiterate because he knows more about that soil than you or I ever would. So no matter where someone is or who someone is in this world, there is something we can learn from them. You are no better and no worse than any other person you'll encounter. And then years and years later, decades later, when she and I were at a yoga retreat and I was assisting her, I remember the venue was very surprised that she wanted to have lunch in the main eating area. And by the end of the meal, she was sitting on the floor surrounded by people who were asking her questions. And the organizers said, most of the people who come here want to eat in their room because they want the privacy. They know that they'll be swarmed with questions, with love. And she couldn't relate to that. She thought, why else am I here if not for that? That each question she got from a student or from someone attending her workshop was a jewel and she would treasure it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And because I, yeah, I studied yoga as well um, and, and teach. And so I've read a lot of the history of yoga and it was a male dominated discipline of academics and also these aesthetics who were kind of outcasts on society and they would do these crazy con, you know, gymnastic poses as it were. Um, and she discovered it when she was a, a child in India, seeing these men doing the practice, and then, and from that point, kind of, and I've heard this from a few people, had this kind of memory of wanting to do that from an early age, and then yes. that's kept with them through their whole life. Was it, did she just continue to practice and learn from that point, or what was the, because she taught, like, or practiced every morning, wasn't it? And had a studio in New York. What was the yes, yoga? Well, she, I think the thing that inspired her to try it was when she was told it was only for the boys. <laughs> and she looked at them and thought, huh, well, if they could do it, certainly so can I. And so as remarkable and incredible as Tao really was, she had this playful spirit and childlike wonder. And she used to say that she had no intentions of growing up, even when she was well into her 90s and past 100. 
So she started practicing from the time she first saw yoga. And she was, when she started teaching, I mean, she had taught for over seven decades, but she had a few things that she would do every day, physically and spiritually. One thing was every night before she went to bed, she would do shoulder stands and she would do these very complicated leg variations of her shoulder stand. And I challenge you, and maybe with your girlfriend, you could do this later, Doug. She, when you're in shoulder stand, the natural propensity is to have your legs, they start to go over your head. Not in plow, they just drift towards in alignment of being over your forehead. If you keep your legs straight up as an extension of the hip bone and they stay directly over the hips, it's a lot more challenging. She would go beyond that, have them go almost to the floor away from the head and bring them back. Her core strength in her 90s was magical. And she thought that that was a great way to settle the mind, to settle the body, to bring her thoughts down before she went to bed, even though she she required very little sleep and was often up all night writing meditations and poems and screenplays. But the other thing that she did and was her daily practice every single day, she would watch as the sun rises and she would say, today is going to be the best day of my life. And because she declared it to be, she said every single day was. So it was just a great reminder of what's possible when we live in this breath, in this day, in this moment, rather than retrospectively in the past or anxiety written about things yet to come because so much of that feeling that that angst if we think about it regret is so past-based worry is so future-based that it takes us right out of the now and that was an amazing part about being with Tao and one of the nuggets that I learned from being with her that I love to do in my coaching today is to remind people all of your love, all of your life happens in the current moment. That's such a beautiful message. And I'll take that shoulder stand tip on board too, because I remember that clip. Um, and I, I did want to ask what the, you know, what, what routine she had to have that, you know, wonderful outlook on life and that zest and, um, because there are those disciplines that add up that have this cumulative effect. And was there anything else besides the sunrise and the shoulder stand? Was there, um, you know, would she read books or study or make sure she taught every day? Or I know she mentioned she'd do yoga in the morning and dancing in the evening. Um, yes. Was there anything else that came to mind that was kind of part of her uh, joyous, joyous day routine? <laughs> Well, she taught multiple classes a week and workshops a week in the yoga world. And at least a few times a week, she would do dance rehearsals with her partners who were on average about 70 years younger than she was. And her one of her favorite things to do was to drink wine. So whether she was meeting with a friend and had a little champagne or had a little wine, Tao was a celebrated wine judge, and she used to say that the word in Sanskrit for wine was the same as the word for hope. So she would say there, where there is wine, there was hope. So she loved 
when a friend would stop by her apartment or when she would go out to dinner and share a glass of wine with a friend. She needed very little food. So often when we were on retreats or workshops, people would say, because they would see her thriving past the age of 100, and they would say, can you share about Tao's habits or diet? And I would say, well, I can, but please keep in mind that the advice might not translate to us as mere mortals because she never drank water. She thought water was for her plants and most of us need water (laughs) to survive. So I would share that with the little disclaimer, like this might not be something to try at home. Instead, she would have tea or juice or wine or champagne. She never wore flats. She was always in heels, hence the title of the book, My Guru Wears Heels. In fact, once she had a little procedure done and we were going to an ashram and one of her other cherished assistants and friends really begged her can you wear these shoes? They were like small sandals, thinking it would be easier on her. I saw her stumble twice, almost trip over something. And she said, oh, dear, I just can't walk in these flats. And I said, Tao, we should never try to tame you. Let's go get your heels right now. So that her her habits, if you can call them habits, were really just celebrating the daily, celebrating the mundane. There was never an interaction with Tao where you realized she wasn't right there with you. When she locked eyes on you, you just saw this sparkle. She had these translucent blue eyes. And when she looked at you, they sparkled. They sparkled like a brand new baby's. So if you're thinking about, hmm, what can I do during my day to have this kind of magic that this master teacher had every single day, I would say step one, like she did, wake up every single day and decide with certainty that it's going to be the best day of your life. Step two, she focused only on the good. If something was impossible or deemed as such from someone else, she wouldn't even listen to it. She would smile and go back to what she believed. Step three, she never took for granted connection. So she was present. If you saw her in that in the morning, came back in the afternoon, she greeted you with her hug and love as if she hadn't seen you in years. So being really present to the moments. And then I would say probably step four, never miss a chance to dance or to toast somebody with a glass of wine or to celebrate. And that was really embodied when she was dancing in cabarets during World War II. She would have to often have to walk through the actual bombed out streets during active bombings to get to the nightclubs where she was performing. And she would dance or she would skip her way there. And if you asked her, weren't you scared? She just thought that fear wasn't productive. She was going there anyway. If she was walking, why wouldn't she be dancing? So those lessons, especially having heard them from such a young age since she and I met when I was only 17, they were absolutely transformative. They impacted every part of my life, every part of my teaching, and every part of my being. Yeah, that's such a 
reminds me of a few people even um or sentiments from you know the likes of warren buffett who pretty much only drinks coca-cola it looks like and he skipped dances to work and he said that's the secret to life and um and yeah i do love that sentiment of celebrating each moment and as you say living from a place of love and there's a dr d martini who would talk about you know when you're a, a man or a woman on a mission and you've got a bigger purpose you know you you don't live to eat you just eat to live you only kind of taken what you need to keep going because you're on such this power this powerful mission what do you think her mission was or did she have this kind of grand vision for her life or was it just each day i'm gonna make the most of it and do what i love both and i love that question she actually tau believed that there was more nutrients that we could get from breathing alone if we knew how to really be in touch and connected with our breath so there were times where we would teach two different workshops in one day three and a half hour chunk with a break and then another three and a half hour chunk. And I, as a human and a mortal, I would often need in between a bite to eat something to drink. Maybe I'd need to use the restroom. We would have to remind her Tao, perhaps have a bit of chocolate, maybe a little ice cream here. Can you have this tea? Or I'd slide a juice next to her as she was answering endless questions and giving abundant hugs. She was so driven and so connected that she really, exactly as you said, not even eating to live. She would live, she could go a whole day easily without remembering to eat or drink anything without being reminded. So she also thought it was a very American habit when people would travel and she would see people pile in, at parties or restaurants, pile more food than they could possibly consume on her plate. And that baffled her. So I don't think she really needed a lot of food. She definitely didn't need a lot of breaks or rest or drinks. But her mission was so clear. She wanted to spread peace, to spread love. In fact, and I, I shared this one in the book, too. There was only one thing in all of our stories, because everything was wondrous. When she would start a story, sometimes she would say something like, uh, Marlene Dietrich was throwing me a party after I wrapped filming a movie. And then she looked at me and she said, oh, I'm sorry, dear. Are you tired? You could rest. And I laughed and I said, Tao, there is no one else in my life that starts a story with that sentence. I can sleep later. Go on. And I would just sit there soaking up every bit of magic possible. But one of these occasions when we were together, she looked at me and she said, we were driving into New York City. And she said, I want you to make a lot of money. And I thought, wow. At this point, we'd been together for about 20 years. And I thought, and I don't know if you can relate to this, Doug, but when you do something that's a passion, and something you love, and it feels like a mission, you don't always think of the monetary gain or financial reward of it. And in that moment, she gave me such a gift because she said to me, money is just energy. It's not inherently anything. 
And I never really was good at the money part. I never thought of it. And if I did, I could have had more resources to spread this message that's so important farther and wider when I was younger. And it was one of those moments, like those mind blown moments where I looked at her and I said, wow, Tao, I never really thought of it like that. And she said, we need the good people in this world to have the resources they need to spread that good. There are a lot of good people in this world and the balance of power has been shifted so that too often the people who have the money aren't necessarily using it for that good. And she looked at me, connected those blue eyes with mine and said, so go make a lot of money and go do a lot of good. And I felt like I had my marching orders and I said, okay, yes, ma'am. So that was one that was quite surprising, but she made very clear that that was her mission. And to that end, I realized in that moment, I want to help as many people as possible live their best life ever. And so she said, okay, go do that. That's beautiful. I mean, because I think there is a lot of stereotypes and ideologies and particularly in yoga or spiritual, you know, disciplines. I remember uh, a Swami after a meditation event, you know, having a glass of wine and dancing on a table and he thought, you know, (laughs) people, you know, you're you're a Swami meditation teacher. Why are you doing, you know, this? And and I think his answer was, um, you know, I'm not attached to the wine or the dancing or the party, but I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. And, yes. but so often we kind of create these blockages to energy, to money, to opportunity, to, um, you know, because we do have these ideologies, whether they're from outside sources or something we've picked up internally. But um, I love that freedom of expression and the enjoying the, the wine and, and yeah, there's just a joyous kind of occasion to everything. It sounds like she did, but what I think it was Freud who said, you know, you can only go as high as you can go as you've been low. So there mm. must've been, and again, I referred to Dr. D Martini a bit, but he, you know, he said, if you've got a mission, you've got the synchronicities of happiness and, you know, pain or disappointment, you've got, you know, it's the balance of support and challenge. And, I, and I'd imagine she's been through some great challenges as well to have that outlook on, on life. And I saw, you know, three hip replacements in her later years and how she was still doing full Lotus. Um, but were there yeah. any great challenges early on, you know, was it kind of breaking into the male dom- dominated world of yoga or, or seeing, you know, being well-traveled, seeing these kind of, you know, war-torn places or was there anything that gave her that, that drive and perspective? Oh, absolutely. She was actually born on a ship. Tao's mom died during childbirth. And that's when it was decided that she would be raised in the French part of India with her aunt and uncle. So she had, from her debut, she had challenges and Doing yoga in a male-dominated world was probably the least of them. At a young age, she got to march with Gandhi and see the salt marches and experience prejudice on a huge scale. 
but she also witnessed peace and the peace in the protest and the peace in the fighting for what you knew in your heart was right. So she had these really important messages ingrained at a very young and impressionable age. And then when she was sent to Europe, she actually was helpful in hiding Jewish families to escape hiding from the Nazis in World War II. And then, as I mentioned before, when she was dancing in cabarets, that was when she was she arrived in England speaking very little English with very little money or contacts. And she was forging a life for herself while working during the day and at night, hardly sleeping again and walking through war-torn streets just to get from point A to point B. She was secretly part of the French resistance, something she shared with very few people. And it was incredible because in so many moments where the lesson could have been a very fearful, fear-based one, she kept choosing the light. She kept choosing love. There was this, this journalist sent from America and he was supposed to do a piece on darker London for that time. And he started following her around and he said, I'm going to have to change the title to lighter London because of the light you have in such a dark time. And there was one story. Um, is this one? Yes. I was just remembering. I was like, is this one in the book or is this one in our conversations? But it's both in our conversations and in the book. When she first came to America, she was taking a Greyhound bus from the East coast to the West coast. And she saw a young black woman who was pregnant and men were not giving up their seats for her. And she, she called them out on it and said, why aren't you letting her sit down? And somebody told her to mind her business. So she got up and offered her seat to the young woman. The bus driver warned her that her behavior might be dangerous. And so they stopped and they were told they could go inside and freshen up. And she did. And when she got back, all of her belongings were stolen, including her identification, the little money she had. But Tao, she said her second husband referred to her as a Pollyanna because she was always trying to see the good in every situation. And when they arrived in California, I think she knew one person at the time who happened to be a police officer. And when she arrived, that person was randomly at the bus stop. So she just always felt do the right thing without the expectation of what's going to come out of it. Be grateful, not surprised, grateful when what you see will happen actually transpires. So because she expected the good, she saw the good. It's that thing like what you notice grows. And it's not because nothing bad happened. It's because these things happen that you have this point of contrast, this starting off point. She was very much in love with her first husband and they were separated during the war. So she had a lot of loss, a lot of pain, as do we all. It's really part of this human experience. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term of Bodhisattva. That was the only term that I felt resonated in terms of how can we describe this little being? So I'm going to tell you something right now that you might think, wow, I got a real nutty one here from America on. But as you're speaking, I see this glow happen around you. There's this soft white light. And as you're speaking, 
the more we engage, the brighter it glows. The first time I was ever able to see that kind of energy or light or aura was with Tao when she was teaching. And hers was so obvious that it would glow so big that I would actually see when it connected with somebody else's. If she held hands with someone, it was very clear. Eye contact, it was very clear. And I see it and feel it even when I share memories of her and see that magic flow to the other person. So I like to think that at best, I hope to be a conductor of her magic. I always said it was like being a a sidekick. Like, I don't know where I got my backstage passage from. And I always like to share that I am not unique. I'm not the only one. I am amongst a very blessed many who were personally trained by and certified to teach yoga by Tao. And then I was part of a really special circle, this inner circle that she trusted enough that as she got older, we could be part of her care calendar. And we got to rotate who would stop in with a tea or a juice or a snack for her. Um, She zipped around town in a tiny little sports car, a smart car. And when she finally stopped driving, we would rotate a schedule. But she was so fiercely independent that we would just say that we were there to pick her up and have a lunch date with her. So it was never limiting this magical person by saying you can or cannot do anything. It was, can I have the honor? I'm going to take you to your rehearsal today. I wanted to see you. I missed you. And that started from a really young age. When I first met her, she was in her 70s or 80s. And even then she would try to refuse if I tried to carry a bag for her. And I'd say, come on, I know you don't need it, but let me feel useful, Tao. That's, um, I think the big thing I'm getting across to is just the, the beautiful stories. I can't wait to read the book. Um, and I just finished, uh, Anthony Bourdain's documentary last night, which was a bit sad. Uh, but, there's something magical to celebrating someone's life in whatever way, whether it's with words or whether you be able to capture all this great video content or audio content. Um, but to pass on that, that legacy, I think is such a wonderful thing that, you know, you've obviously dedicated a lot of time um, to, and yes, I think that's such a wonderful blessing and thing you've done. Is it, and how did you, I mean, what about your story, Joanna? How did you, come across yoga and Tao and then, um, and then, you know, what's the last 20, 20 odd years been, we have been at her side or assisting or learning. And also what, cause you studied with all these yoga teachers and, and I know Iyengar, you know, there's a lot of really disciplined, you know, only teach this way, only do this style. Um, I've got a friend who was an Iyengar teacher and he's transitioned out of it a little bit because you know, some of the things are so disciplined and then you think, wow, is that to get you to a point where you realize, you know, you learn the basics and then you can do whatever you want or did she teach a certain style or only practice a certain way? I mean, what was her yoga philosophy um, to start with? And then what was your story as part of it? Okay. I love, love, love these questions. So hers was a very different approach. She did study with Iyengar, who was very rigid and very anatomy focused. 
And she took, she loved his cueing on anatomy. She loved, there were certain things like if you were in a side angle pose, Iyengar would have you come up into a warrior two first before straightening that knee again. Those things were very important to her and she loved how he taught them. But he did teach with this rigidity. So for example, when she had traveled on planes, trains and automobiles just to get to Iyengar, and by the time she received, she arrived there, it was right after her second husband had passed away. She got to the studio and she was just trying to secure her spot in studying with him that day. And he said, well, if you came here to do yoga, then do yoga. And she said, I wasn't prepared to do it now. She was wearing a dress. And he said, if you want to do yoga, you will find a way. So she tied up her skirt between her legs and just practiced. And she said she would be in back bends on a table and he would come by trying to knock her off to see how stable she really was. So I loved to think of Tao as teaching with a lot of Iyengar influence, but with a lot more Ananda, with that love and joy and bliss. So she could be very specific once she wanted to make a film about her yoga vinyasas. And she had a group of us as her students doing it. And I remember once we were in this gorgeous setting. We just finished one of her pretty well-known vinyasas, or at least well-known amongst her students. And as soon as we were done, she said, and this was also the producer in her coming out as well. She, she was always super complimentary. But in this moment, she said, well, you did it. But it wasn't very good. And we all start laughing. And we realized, she said, you did all the poses. I don't know if it was because the camera was on or not, but I didn't feel you gliding on the breath. So even in this moment of critique, the next time we did it, we stopped focusing on being in sync with each other and how it looked on film to honor Tao in that way aesthetically. And we started focusing on our breath and moving with that breath. And that take of it, of us all moving through the flow, with the flow, in the breath, felt so different that even in her quote-unquote criticism, we got everything she was teaching us. So that was part of her Iyengar influence. She also had, she was influenced by Patabi Joy. She loved the fact that when you went to Mysore, you could sit for years working on the breath alone before you moved on to the asana. She took bits of influence and inspiration from yogis older and younger than she, from her students who asked questions. She was always humble enough to learn from everywhere and everyone. And I love that. And as for your question with my journey and where I found her and how this all came about, I love that question because it was not all rainbows and unicorns. When I met Tao, I was 17. I had just been through a, a bit of a traumatic time in my life. I was raped. I had an abortion. I was finding my way to, to and through the trauma to the light that I was seeking. I didn't have words for it yet. I had a feeling. And in the beginning of the book, it describes that low point. Because there was a book written before that Tao co-authored that was more of a biography. And I thought that book did a beautiful job with photos and stories about her life. 
And I specifically wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel or tell Tao's story for her. This is more of a eat, pray, love, and Tuesdays with Maury had a baby. It was really this magical person through the lens of somebody that people could relate to. That's flawed. That's human. That was quite frankly fucked up when I met her. So all I had was a desire for more. I wanted something that felt different. I wanted to feel different. And in that moment of seeking, I started my path so that the teacher could show up. So I felt that sharing this story through the lens of my real life, which is pretty vulnerable because my life in the book is shared from the point where I was 17 to the point where I was 40 years old. And to share so honestly and vulnerably my real life was was definitely a choice. And so I had this notion for years while she was alive, Tao, I the biggest blessing in my life is being with you and my time spent with you, all of the things I've learned, all of the places we've been, all of what I've gotten to see. And I feel like it's my gift to share. It would be selfish to hold it in. So I had the notion for many years, but when the book came to me, it came to me with total ease. I was getting a foot massage on a surprise date with my husband. And I said to him, I got it. I woke him up from his foot massage. I said, dude, 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 I've got it. And he he looked at me like, what, what do you have a foot massage? And I said, no, I have the exact book I'm meant to write. I know how it's going to be. Each chapter starts with one of Tao's quotes, one of her philosophies. And then within the chapters, we'll go back and forth between our timelines to show how relevant they were then, how relevant they are now, and how timeless they always will be. And he was like, oh, that's cool. I said, I feel like we have to go home. I have to write it now. And he said, well, the next part of our date is seeing Justin Timberlake. So can you write some notes in your phone and you could start it later? So that's what we did. We went to see Justin Timberlake. It was a great concert. And when I wrote the book, I felt like I I channeled it as much as I created it. And I just got to receive it. Luckily, I wrote it when she was alive. I started slowing down my writing about the last chapter or so. And my husband looked at me and he said, I, I haven't seen you writing this week. What's up? And I said, I think part of the reason I'm stalling is because I have this feeling that when I finish the book, that's when she's, she's going to pass away. And so I'm not ready. And he said, just keep writing and have faith. And the day after I read my last edit and I, of the last page, I got the call that she had passed away. And on the anniversary of that date was the day that my editor finished editing it and it was ready to be published. So I am so grateful that I got to share with her the process, the fact that I was writing it, that she got to tell me that she felt honored, even though she wondered if it was interesting enough, to which I always laughed, and that it felt really complete. My intention, how I left the book in the ending, was so that it would make sense whether she was still alive or whether she wasn't. And it, it just feels like the biggest joy the biggest joy that this book is yet another reason or vehicle that I get to talk about her, celebrate her life, share her magic with people 
posthumously. So thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Every interview I do, every conversation I have feels like another blessing, another star in the sky that I get to do to just pay homage to this woman who's been a beacon of light in my life and whose messages, I hope, are a beacon for people for generations to come. Thank you. I mean, I feel so privileged to share and and hear more about Tao's story in your book um, because, yeah, it is a life-changing story. It's amazing what one personal one sentence or one little story can do to to you know take your life on a new tra- trajectory and see see the world in a completely different way um and it could be even just the energy of someone like i loved how you talked about the light before and yeah, there's a there's a story in a book i was just reading about someone who did a gratitude process on themselves and was thankful for all of their weaknesses and all of their flaws as well as their strengths and when they did that process they had kind of a tear of gratitude and they were just people could see the light in them from that process um because they were in such flow and gratitude with what was going on in the universe and i get that um feeling from from you and the story uh it's it's so wonderful and how your challenges have have allowed you to meet talent go on this wonderful journey um and has that been where do you see are you teaching now yourself are you what's the next step for the beyond the book i guess (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for that question i i've been teaching since she told me on a trip to india that it was my time to teach and that she wanted to certify me personally that's when i started teaching yoga What I'm really grateful for now with the book and since the book is that my focus has been beyond just the yoga world because I've so enjoyed sharing Tao within that world. And now what I'm really loving from the book and beyond is really letting anyone know inside or outside of this insular world of yoga that these messages relate to us all. So to that end, I've been doing more keynote speaking, and I have an online course of living your best life ever and taking some of the tools and wisdom from my time with Tao and helping people to take actual action steps in implementing these lofty goals and ideals into changing their lives in real-time shifts. And then the last thing, and hopefully COVID-depending, is I've been doing more exclusive retreats so that people can feel that kind of transformative magic in full immersion. Because we all know that the best way to learn a language is to go to that country and have no choice. So sometimes when you can leave your life for a moment and have those immersive experiences, you shift differently. I really like them both. I like the difference of that feeling of retreat or workshop when you get that that experience from being away from your quote unquote real life so that you can just delve into the work and feel the results. And I also like the notion of this next 12 week best life ever workshop I'm doing starts in the fall. We meet once a week and we have people from all over the world because it's virtual. We, we talk about what we're playing with that week. 
And then we have the next seven days to do it in the context of our real life before we meet again. So I love the value in that because I've been retreating with Tao and with my mom and my sister for years because I've always been drawn to that personal development type of work. And then sometimes I would come home and find out my baby did not potty train well and there's a leak in the roof and my 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 husband needs to go out of town the next day and you know life happens. So sometimes I would call I would call it a spiritual hangover from this amazing transformative event. And then I would come home and I'm like, ah, I still have to take out the garbage. That Tony Robbins experience was really cool. Now I'm taking out the garbage. So I like both because you get value from both in different ways. So that's been what I've been committing to now is, and ultimately I do have two companion books to this book, to my Guru Wears Heels, that I would love to do next before moving on and writing something else. Wonderful. Yeah, I I think it was maybe Jack Cornfield or one of those spiritual teachers who said, you know, someone was complaining that they couldn't go to India on the next meditation retreat because their their wife was having a child or and he was and he was saying, you know, the diapers and the child, that's your spiritual you know, it's all it's all spiritual growth and challenge. And um I think Tony Robbins is great. I've been to has um, unleashed the power within and yeah, interviewed his coach, Brian Bradley. I've got a few friends of his, uh, but he was always great in describing the power of that immersive experience as well. Yes. And then, yes. And he had, you know, a mission to reach a lot of people. So he had his audio tapes and his scalable, you know, it's just, it, I think it's very interesting how um, Tao had that East meets West and, you know, the idea that if you've, the good people should have reach as well. Cause there is this, there is a, a blockage. I, I see in a lot of people where they're wise and really in one area, but they think, well, you know, money's bad or marketing, you know, they kind of disregard other areas of life because it's not part of, I don't know Absolutely. what that is. Absolutely, It's like this esoteric um, starving artist in the <laughs> spiritual sense way. And I don't want to spoil the book for you, but there is a Tony Robbins part, a Tao and Tony Robbins part that I think will really speak to you. That was one of my my favorite ways of playing with the universe. Sometimes we shrink our big dreams because they seem too big or they seem too crazy. And this example towards the end of the book is just that. That one I won't spoil because I shared it on another interview and someone wrote, oh man, I was just getting to that yeah. part. So I won't spoil that part, but I do love that you said that because that's why the two of them have been two of my biggest spiritual and professional role models, Tony Robbins and Tao, because at the heart of it, they did the same work just in different vehicles and being at UP. Um, oh, I hope you can still hear me. Can yeah, you still hear me? Yep, that's still that's still fine. Yep. Perfect. AirPod died. <laughs> um, that happens a lot. I'm a big talker. So being at PW and experiencing Tony Robbins live for the first time, I remember thinking, I would love if he could meet Tao. 
the two of them have this joyful wonder, this playfulness that you don't always see in in grown adults, especially successful, well-known grown adults. And they were both in a stage of their lives and careers where they no longer had to, but they got to. They didn't, you could tell, they didn't feel they had to serve. They were blessed and they got to serve. And that was a tie that I thought bound. And it was a really important influence for me personally and why I I love that the magic of the two of them worked so well together. And seeing them together was just the culmination of such a dream come true. But I'm not telling you how and if that happened. (laughs) I love, no, you got to, yeah, the book. Um, I mean, on that, so, so people can, uh, they can order the book, obviously just online or Google, you know, my guru wears heels. Um, and you mentioned the course, I mean, where else can people find what you're going to be, you know, where the other books will come, if they come out or the courses you're going to be doing, is it your personal Instagram or a website you want to send people to? Yes, I have all the things. So unapologetically, I will own that aspect of marketing. As you mentioned, there's a website, myguruwearsheels.com, and that will give you a direct link to the book. And there is also on that, there are tabs that talk about the workshops and retreats or the, the online course or the speaking events. And on Instagram, I'm Joanna Raj, J-O-A-N-N-A-R-A-J. And I only do that as a favor to the world because I have an Indian last name and it's hard to spell. (laughs) On Facebook, I am my whole name, Joanna Rajendran. So that's why a lot of people find me on Instagram. But I'm, I'm now thrilled that in this part of my life, I get the privilege of going to different companies or teams or universities and sharing with people at different stages of life, reminding them what is possible when we create our lives by design, by choice, as opposed to reacting to it. It's a completely different feeling. We still have, we all wake up and we have the same 24 hours in the day, but how many of us and how often do we feel like we're really just responding to what's thrown? So with certain shifts and daily habits and thoughts and perspectives, we can really create the exact life that we are looking to live. Tao embodied that. My studying and my time with her demonstrated what was possible to me. And ever since then, it's been an absolute mission for me to do the same. As I said before, I am very clear that I am here to help as many people as possible live their best lives ever. My daughter that um, she's my firstborn and we named her after Tao. She's Natasha Tao. And I used to always laugh and tell Tao, I know what you were like at three because now I have you at home. And she used to tell me things like, you'll never be able to tell that little girl. No, when she puts the thought in her eye, in her mind, she is going to stop at nothing to achieve it. Now my daughter is nine, so I've had this honor of seeing how this energy has transferred from the original Tao to her namesake, and it's been just so incredible. And one of the one of the funny little silly stories to share Tao's humility. 
is I would hear her say, you see this little girl? She's named Tao, like me. And I would interrupt her and say, Tao, she's named Tao for you. It's not a coincidence. She's not Tao like you. She's Tao for you. Oh, that's, uh, that's a beautiful story. So you've got one, one daughter then, is it, Joanna? I have a daughter and a son named River. And he's very much like his name, too. He's very <laughs> tranquil, goes with the flow. Sometimes I say she might rule the world, and he will happily follow her around when she does. Oh, wonderful. And, and you're all based in New York, is it? or I'm from New York. We're currently living in Florida on the yeah. beach. We want change of scenery. So when the world shut down, we figured where could we be that our kids could still free, feel like they have outside time and nature and beauty. So I'm actually blocking the best view because that's the ocean. <laughs> but I was told this gives better light if I don't show the waves. So take my word for it. They're yeah. gorgeous. <laughs> there. I had the same. Uh, it's a beautiful morning here too in Tiara, but I'm still waiting on my um on my lighting because I want to do, you know, more zoom kind of podcast, but same thing. It's a beautiful day outside, but you just, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't see it. Um, or you wouldn't see me. You'd see one or the other. <laughs> right. well, I'd like it. I've traveled a lot, but I've never been to New Zealand and I would love to come. So maybe have an event so that I can come and have an excuse to see your beautiful country. Oh, we could, uh, well, I'm sure we could do a, a retreat with you um, even because, yeah, when family's got a luxury lodge up in Tiare and it's built around, we've got a beautiful yoga studio and uh, myself and my mum teach out of there as well. Um, and then yeah, we've got friends who have Araha, the incredible retreat down in Queenstown, which I think was rated number one or one of the best, you know, wellness retreats. But um, yeah, we're very fortunate here, uh, particularly at at this time, but also I think the, ch- the opportunity to connect over Zoom, you know, and still, yeah, I saw that was one thing that Tony did really well was transition. You know, like yeah. you said, what the attitude is, what's the opportunity here? Um, Behavior is changing, but, you know, you don't lose something without gaining something. And, you know, what can you create out of it? Um, whether it's your, you know, book or online webinars or events like he was doing, um, and kind of on that, I mean, it is such a changing landscape and you get someone with um, maybe such wisdom in one area and then they have to bring someone on that can help them scale that wisdom or bring in, you know, a business partner or because I find, you know, particularly someone who's so in their body and so great with people, you know, the digital side like my girlfriend's a bit like that. She's her emotional intelligence and, and, uh, and these soft skills are so high, but then to transition that to filming it and putting it on a website or creating a business model out of it. Have you found mentors or, or um, is that more your passion or how have you kind of navigated that? you know, putting the pieces of puzzle to get the book out, to get the business model, to get the, you know, I mean, my, the, I think the best yoga studio I worked at in the city was run by a former accountant and all the <laughs> systems were in place. You know, it was that balance yes. of, it wasn't this, she'll be right. You know, people turn up when they want, you know, everything was very organized. Um, and I think that's something, you know, a lot of, 
great people do is they tick all the boxes. They empower all aspects of their life. Yes. And I think there's often people will, will coach you to take a perceived weakness and shore up that weakness. I happen to feel exactly the opposite. I like to take my strengths and strengthen my strengths. So my strengths, I love connecting with people. I love inspiration. I love love. I love joy. I love, I love presence. I love all of this big picture stuff. The nitty gritty and the details or the technical side of thing. That's not really my bag, baby. So what I did was I married an IT guy and <laughs> some of my best behind the scenes magic. So here's the thing. My dude, he loves me. He believes in me. He loved Tao. She touched every part of our marriage and our life. He has not read the book. For him, it's really personal and he's more private. So to his credit, he never said anything was off limits. He never said, please don't share this. Please don't write about that. But he said, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to read it. And I said, I completely understand that. And you'll see after you read it, Doug, there are things that are so raw and vulnerable that if you were that close to me, it might be a little troubling to read. My father just introduced me for this huge event in Bedford in New York. He and my mom did the introduction and my dad shared, you know, some of the stories you either have read or might have read in the book are not easy to read as Joanna's dad. They also weren't easy to live through. But I wouldn't change a thing because she chose to take the trauma and turn it into triumph, not just in her life, but to inspire other people. So my husband, I really give so much credit to because even the process of finding an agent and an editor and a publisher during COVID was very different than in times before that. A lot of the big publishing studios were only taking projects with existing best-selling authors. So my husband said, I think you should talk to this friend of mine who ultimately led to the referral, who led me to the agent and publisher that I worked with. And then he was on a phone call one day with these amazing tech geniuses who were starting their own platform called Kahana. It's this brand new platform for creatives and for writers to organize their processes. And when he spoke with them, he said, I need to connect you with my wife. I have a feeling that you guys are supposed to meet. They saw the value of what I was doing. They believed in it. And they said, we're, we're here to help. And they designed all of the marketing materials and the website and the things that I had no idea what to do or how to do. So that's a really funny thing that you asked that question because I feel like not only do you find balance in life, in my case, I married my balance. I married the perfect counterpart for all the things that I would not say are my strengths and I would not say are my um, talents, put lightly. I think the trauma to triumph is such a wonderful uh, place to kind of sum it up and also the the, the focus on your strengths because um, that is something that, you know, can feel debilitating when you think, you know, I've got to be good at this and this and this and this. And you think, you know, I often think, um, you know, whoever it could be, Michael Jordan, you know, you want to see him playing basketball, not doing his accounts, you know, like the value is 
but sometimes it's tough. It's easy to see in other people than yourself. Um, right. I know for me, that's often the case. And we all have those unique gifts. So we do the world a service when we shine the light on those. Yeah, that's such a, well, um, thank you again, just for your time. And, and that's the most precious gift and sharing Tao's incredible story and, and your own story as well, Joanna. And yeah, I mean, it'd be magic to have you out to New Zealand <laughs> when, at some stage. Um, and well, now that we said it, totally happening you know that right yeah <laughs> it, yeah I mean I uh another thing I, I'm trying to do more of is write down the serendipity you know these connections when you look back in retrospect but trying to you know acknowledge them at the time and think you know like you said with that grace of you don't know what it's going to lead to but if your heart's open you follow that and that guides you um and I mean you, you see someone that's very curious and kind of obviously, you know, great at writing and articulating. Is there any other, I mean, I always love looking for new books or movies or things that inspire people that I love. Is there anything else that's been um, besides Tao that's been impactful on your life? You, I mean, you mentioned Deepak Chopra and Tony Robbins. Um, is there, there books or events or places, you know, is it going to India to an ashram or is there anything else that comes to mind that you've, you'd love to share or that you think might be um, or even just India was yourself. definitely a magical place. India was a place that touched my heart where I, I just fell in love with the culture, the henna, the saris, the smell. And I said, I want to get married in India. I had no idea that a month later I would meet my husband who's half Indian, but I put the thought in motion so you just said those synchronistic moments, you could call them coincidences, God winks, signs, whatever they are. When you see those repeating numbers, when the guy from the dry cleaners also just showed up at the supermarket and then you saw him at the playground. Why did you just see him three times? There's something that's going to happen with that connection. So when you start to notice these things, they happen more often in terms of magical energy. I've felt that in Costa Rica very deeply connected to the jungle, the rainforest in terms of books and spiritual leaders. I love Wayne Dyer. I love Abraham Hicks. I love Eckhart Tolle. I love um, Joe Dispenza. There are so many incredible thought leaders. I love what Jay Shetty is doing now. Um, Gabrielle Bernstein's fantastic. She, I had a yoga clothing line years ago, and I remember I was so excited because she wore our, cl our clothing line and then curated it for a shopping website when they asked her to pick a brand she loved. But there's a place in the Berkshires in, in, um, in the States, in the Northeast, called Kripalu, and it's in Lenox, Massachusetts, and it's a really beautiful, it used to be an ashram back in the day. And then it became more of an austere yoga center. It then became more well-known. When I first started going there, there were no locks on the door. It was very much more like an ashram style. It turned into more of a, a local spa, yoga center, retreat place. But it holds a very special place in my heart, a very healing grounds. And I was so honored because I went there before I started studying with Tao or 
before when I was studying with her before I started teaching myself. And then I was honored because I got to go back again and again and assist her at her retreats there. So that was a really magical place. But it's really the feeling. So even though I respect and value everything that I've taken from all of these different writers, teachers, places, countries, and locations, it's really that feeling. So when you start breathing and connecting, maybe it's through meditation or maybe it's through petting your dog or watching the ocean, whatever it is that you feel in those moments, you actually feel your brain waves change. You feel the pace of your heart, the rhythm of your breathing. You feel it change and you feel totally present. And those are the times you see the colors, you feel the magic, your embodiment of peace. That's the place. That's my favorite place. And that can happen through writing, through reading, through painting, through dancing, through loving. That can happen wherever you are and whoever you're with. Well, there we are. Hope you dug it. Really appreciate the listen. You know what to do. Make sure to leave a review. Subscribe below. Share it with a friend. Tell someone I love you. And have the greatest day of your life. As always, think less, experience more. 